What the four is up, ladies and gentlemen. Another week, another episode. Uh, T, a humongous guest this week. Dan, yeah, very special guest this week. None other than than Mike Thomas himself, um, father to Justin Thomas, uh, also his coach as well. Um, you know, Mike has been the the head golf professional um, out at Harmony Landing uh, for a long time. Um, Harmony Landing is, you know, very close to where I grew up and where, where I played. Um, in the summers, it was always cool. We would always, uh, me and a couple of the assistant pros at the golf course I worked at, we would always go out to Harmony and, and Mike was always so gracious to us. Uh, he was super gracious with us today. He's a fantastic guy. And, uh, I really think our listeners are going to, uh, you know, appreciate this episode and hopefully take a lot away from the episode. No, absolutely. I would think if you're a junior golfer or even just a recreational golfer out there listening to our podcast, a lot to take away um, from Mike's insight. Um, and then kind of he relates it to what he sees uh, week in, week out on the PJ Tour with, with traveling around with Justin. And um, he also kind of dives into how much this game means to him and, and, and what all it's done for his life. So, I mean, just – Awesome, incredible uh, knowledge and insight, and, and from one of them, uh, of just a very humble guy. Yeah, and something I want to point out, Dan. You know, and I, we kind of got at this in the in the podcast a little bit. Um, he's not very technical, and I no. think that's absolutely fantastic. I think that's when we think of swing coaches and swing instructors, we think technical, technical, technical. Um, but he's quite the opposite, and I think that is uh, what makes himself and you know, the coach that he is. And I think it's what makes, uh, you know, Justin Thomas, the player that he is, you know, and I think uh, it's absolutely fantastic. And there's a lot we can take away from this episode and I hope the listeners really enjoy it. Absolutely. He is a, he is a big fan of uh, the acronym KISS. Keep it simple, yeah. stupid. Yes. Always simple um, for, for Mike Thomas. So now what a fantastic episode we got lined up for you guys. Um and we'll, we won't ruin it anymore for you all. So without further ado, uh, we'll get right into it. Uh, T, myself, Mike Thomas, we're on the T. We're here with our guest this week, Mike Thomas. Mike, how's everything going? How has uh, the past month or so been for you uh, with the COVID-19 going on? Well, unfortunately, it's uh, it's been pretty dead. Uh, haven't been able to teach uh, between, uh, you know, all the restrictions and then the we're lucky that our club has stayed open. Uh, so I've played more golf than, than I've played in the last probably eight years combined. But, uh, you know, I'd rather be out there teaching and working with kids is kind of really what I enjoy. Fantastic. Yeah. So if you don't mind, Mike, kind of walk us through um, your golf journey, um, kind of where you went to college, your professional career, and, and then all the way up to uh, where you are now. Well, it's been a long journey. My dad is a uh, PGA member. He's he's still alive. Uh, he's probably one of the oldest PGA members living today, uh, actually. Uh, um, so I just kind of grew up around the game. Um, you know, I, I was a good junior player, uh, although back then there wasn't near the opportunities. You had like two or three tournaments a summer you could play in. And those were mostly uh, – you still had the U.S. US junior, but uh, – most of the other junior tournaments were just something that a club would put on, uh, like a junior invitation or something. And you literally had 
you know, your state amateur, your state junior, or the U.S. junior, and whatever club would host an event, probably, you know, three to five events that you could play in the whole summer compared to what they do now. So uh, from there, I, I uh, played golf at Moorhead State here in Kentucky and uh, tried to mini tour for a year after that and um, realized it probably be better off getting uh, into golf business. Uh, I did enjoy, I, I, I'll always like to work uh, and I like to be busy and I just enjoyed the day-to-day challenges of, of the golf industry. And uh, so I've been, this is my 31st year here at the club in uh, Harmony Land in Goshen. And uh, I'm emeritus now. I stepped back a few years ago. So sure. uh, I just pretty much teach uh, and travel with Justin quite a bit. Awesome. That's fantastic. Well, it's great to hear that we have another uh, OVC alumni, myself and Dan, we're at Eastern Kentucky. So uh, this is the friendly confines of the Ohio Valley Conference. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we uh, have to do battle with EKU all the time. Fantastic. Yeah. So uh, kind of take us to Harmony Landing. Harmony is a place that I've been to quite a few times. and I love the environment around there. Kind of talk to us about the golf course there a little bit and the club itself and the environment around the club. Yeah, I mean, it's a really uh, unique facility. It's kind of what I always uh, refer to my peers and some members uh, is it's kind of uh, an old country club. It's what country clubs used to be like. Uh, you know, we don't have tee times. Uh, we'll have a sevensome on the first tee on a Saturday morning in June. Uh, there's next to no rules out here, uh, just, you know, common sense rules, which uh, don't always prevail. But uh you know, it's it's a neat club just because of the laid back atmosphere. Uh, we've done very little uh, structural changes to the golf courses. It pretty much remains intact uh, of what it's always been. It was nine holes back in the late twenties, and it became eighteen holes uh, in fifty nine, uh, I believe. And uh, it's um, it, it's a neat place, and they're very you know what I really think uh, was a huge part of Justin's development here. And is a neat part about the culture of the club is they really embrace kids here. Kids can go out and play golf on a Saturday morning. They can play golf. Uh, you know, they're always welcome out on the golf course. So we have a lot of children hanging out here playing golf. It, it's a pretty neat part of the club. Like that. That's awesome. Yeah. I, just kind of reiterating what Taylor said. I've been out to Harmony Landing a few times before. Um, in my days there in Kentucky, and it, it is a spectacular uh, venue, spectacular club, um, and the membership seems like they're they're just spectacular all around. So, what I just want to get your thoughts on uh, kind of golf instruction when you were growing up playing, to how it's evolved now, and then kind of a two part question here. The second part is, what's one tip you kind of would give uh, to a beginning golfer? Well, yeah, instruction has uh, evolved quite a bit, uh, you know, with uh, video and launch monitors and golly, there's just so many things out there now that, you know, when I look back at how I used to teach or how I was taught by by my dad, I mean, we were we were just kind of guessing, you know, and you <laughs> but, you know, it still came down to reading ball flight. Uh, so, you know, we're just a lot better reading ball flight now. And, and obviously the launch monitors have, have proved, uh, some of the things that we've taught, uh, all along. I mean, you all may have even been taught some of the old ball flight laws and so forth that were, uh, you know, completely wrong. Uh, but 
you know, I mean, everything evolves and, and teaching evolves too. And, you know, uh, you know, those things can do some harm as well as some good, but you know, there's so many uh, vehicles out there now to address with a student that, uh, it's no wonder that, uh, kids are coming out of, uh, junior golf and high school and college golf, uh, much better players than, than back when I was learning to play. Right. No, that's exactly right. The technology has, has come from very far. Yes. Um, and then what's, what's the most important tip you would give a beginning golfer around that, you know, 25 to 30 handicap range? Yeah. You know, uh, I struggle with this, uh, so much to get people to work on their short game. Uh, I get this question out on tour from the media a lot. Uh, you know, Justin will get that question and a hundred percent of the time we say short game. Uh, I mean, it's, they all think that they're a 25 handicapper cause they drive it poorly, but when you take them out in the golf course and go, okay, that drive might've cost you one shot. It took you five shots from 70 yards to get it in the hole. <laughs> so, I mean, that is beyond, beyond the doubt. There's not even a close second. And, and anybody that says uh, something else is it, it's the, the game is played from 70 or 80 yards in. And as I always try to get my students to, to understand that, you know, even if a 25 handicapper is only swinging a club at 80 miles an hour, someone might swing the you know club at 110 miles an hour. It, even at a low speed, it's not near the speed in the ability to make contact from 60 yards or even off the edge of the green from 10 yards. And when something's moving slow, you can have a pretty quick impact on it and you can hmm. get them making good contact right away. And it's just, then it's just a function of speed. And, you know, there's a reason why tour players and good college players work on their short games so much is because they are the small group that understands the importance of a short game. But then you turn around and a, whether it's a 10 handicapper or a 30 handicapper, you know, they want to hit a drive straighter. They want to hit it farther. And it's like, look, that's not going to change your score. You're, you're still missing the green and it's taking you four or five to get it in the hole from there. So, I mean, <laughs> right. you know, you, you're all complaining about, you know, this, this full shot here when the, the bottom line is the low hanging fruit is, is improving your short game, both pitching, chipping and putting. If it was up to me, that's, that's all I would do when I teach is chipping, pitching and putting. Well, I'm glad you definitely touched on that. Cause we sometimes have uh, struggles with our guys to get them to go chip and putt. Um, that all they see on TV is those guys sitting at 3:30 uh, on a string in the air. So that's what they want to do at the range. Well, and if you look at the their their abilities around the green or approaching the green from inside 100 yards, you know what I try to tell some of my better players who who think that they're good chippers or good pitchers is, you know, those shots those guys are hitting are hard. I mean, they're not at Harmony Landing or at, at Arlington in Richmond, these are shots with eight feet of green to work with on a surface that's rolling 11 that's firm as can be. And, and it's sloping away from you and they're making it look easy, but you know, these are not basic chip shots. These guys are hitting them. They just make them look easy. And I do a lot of testing in my practice. Most all of my, uh, 
lessons involve uh, goal-oriented practice where if we're doing pitching, you've got to get a score. And when they start looking at the scores that they uh, can can score in these different putting and chipping and pitching drills, they realize how deficient they are. Uh, and, of course, like TrackMan has a, a wedge test, and, and I've, I've set up a lot of wedge tests on there from different yardages. And when you can tell uh, a Division One college player or even a good high school player that's getting ready to play college golf that, look, this wedge test we just ran you through, you're a 12 handicap. And, and <laughs> I mean, it's like that hits, you know, that hits right. pretty hard. Right. So work on your short game, people. Yeah, no it's doubt. all about the short game. <laughs> that's absolutely fantastic. And as a college coach, Mike, I think I might take that clip and just replay it in a team meeting in the near future because I think that's absolutely fantastic. Exactly uh, what a lot of young players need to hear these days. Yeah, and the um, mistake they make is they go, okay, well, I'm going to work on my short game today, and they lay a bag of balls down and shift from one spot. Well, no matter how wrong they're doing it, they have enough talent that they're going to start getting them close, but they don't even realize that some of their balls flew too far, but were higher than they anticipated and the next shot might have flew short of their landing area but was lower than they wanted and they ended up in the same place and it's like well you better hope that happens on the golf course <laughs> because those were two completely different shots that got close to the hole so we'll have like a land finish drill where you've got to land in one area and get it to finish in the other that way you're controlling your trajectory and and we'll we'll only hit three or four balls from one place and move to another place and, and everything is tested and graded and scored so you can't you can't get into the rhythm of hitting a bag of balls you, you only get one shot in the golf course so all of our practice involves minimal number of shots to replicate what happens on the golf course uh, that's excellent that's a, that's a great uh, a great tip for for everyone to take and myself included that that's excellent that's excellent perspective um i kind of want to kind of transition into uh, a little bit a couple different questions um I'd like for you to kind of take us back to, to Quail Hollow in, in 2017 at the PGA Championship and yourself being a, a club professional. Um, you know, what did that win kind of mean to you for Justin and you guys kind of working together? And then was there something about that week and the beginning of the week that you kind of noticed with his game that kind of showed that he might have been trending in the right direction with his game to, uh, to be successful that week? You know, uh, I don't really recall and I don't think he would either say you know boy I was really getting I mean you're either you play well or you're not there was nothing in particular that that stood out you know something maybe that just fits your eye that uh, you know you like the lay of the the holes out there Uh, you know Justin hits a lot of cuts maybe he he just liked the amount of cuts that he had to hit out there there was nothing in particular Um, you know he made some some key putts out there uh which is you know i always tell people that ask me you know the difference between first and 30th isn't 30 spots it's the guy that was 30th at some point that week had a chance to win that tournament and and maybe you know his drive went in the rough and a bad line he had to pitch it out that nasty bermuda and the next guy caught even a worse drive but he had an opening in trees and he got it on and maybe made birdie or par but it's just a fine line between winning and finishing 20th uh there, there's so much talent out there that uh 
it's just not the best player that week. I mean, obviously it had to be one of the best players, but you know, they had to have some breaks go their way as well. Um, you know, for us emotionally, uh, having, uh, my father be a PJ member and Justin being the third generation of PJ member. And then I served on the national board of the PJ of America. So it was, it was pretty special having his first major be a PGA championship. It was just whole thing was surreal watching it all unfold. It was, it was pretty crazy. No, that's awesome. And actually I kind of, I actually went back and watched that broadcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, just out of pure boredom. Um, but the first hole there, I, I remember, and I love this, hole just as a composure standpoint you know he was kind of in position to possibly make a six on that hole but he hold yes like a 20 foot putter so yeah. for bogey yeah that was uh that was that's interesting that you bring that up because a lot of people will look at that shot on 17 he hit or the putt that sat on the edge of the lip on i think it was 10 uh things like that but that putt uh you know you guys know as players that you know, sometimes making a, a long bogey putt or something like that uh, or chipping in for a par is as big of a momentum uh, builder as anything. And a lot that is often overlooked. That's interesting that you caught that, that, yeah, his his day could have got off to a horrible start and and in turn actually was a momentum builder. And I think he might have buried yeah. the next hole, I believe. I, I can't remember. Yeah, no, I, I believe he did, and, and I just remember watching it again, and, and he, you know, he kind of caught that first bunker shot a little skinny, and then he had a very difficult second shot so, or second bunker shot. Yeah. So, I always think that's kind of interesting to kind of look back on that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, question I want to ask, and I've always kind of wondered this, um, you know, so during a week of a major for you guys, you know, is, is it a different week for you guys, and how do you guys kind of go about setting up a game plan for the golf course, like? Are you guys sitting down at night talking about it or just kind of going around the course? And, yeah, and we do most of that on the golf course. Uh, I mean, we tried not to treat, uh, you know, the players or any major any differently than any other tournament. Uh, you know, you have enough distractions and, and enough pressures uh, from the media and everything else that's, that's out there that week that you don't need to really uh, – you don't need to really add any emphasis to what's going on, but typically what we know in advance is, you know, we know that we'll know the golf course. If it's a golf course, he hasn't played, you know, we'll look at the yardages, uh, you know, either online or talk with caddies and so forth and say, you know, like at the players, I think we knew Justin hit a lot of eight and nine irons at the players. Of course, you know, he had played there a number of times now, but we, so we spend, a lot of that time leading up to that week, you know, the, the week prior to let's use the players, for example, we know it's a lot of eight and nine errors. Well, we're going to do a lot of wedge tests or a lot of tests on track man with uh, eight and nine irons and wedges to where we start working balls left and right, working balls right to left and flighting them and so forth, because we know those are the irons that he's going to be hitting into holes on that golf course. No, that's, that's absolutely fantastic. And, and something I, another question I have for you, I've always kind of wanted you to ask this because I've heard this from different people and I think it's excellent. Um, you know, as far as swing philosophy and kind of how you and Justin kind of talk back and forth about the swing, um, 
how simple do you really keep it? And how, how simple does he like to keep it? I guess that's a better question. Uh, both very simple. Uh, I have lost students out here uh, that have come to me because I have not given them enough information. And it's, uh, you know, I can tell by all the questions they're bombarding me with that they want all this information. And when I try to keep it simple to them, I, 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 you know, and then they never call me back. I go, well, I lost him because he, I didn't give him enough. And I always tell them, look, golf is already hard. My job is to make it easy. And you're, yes. mm-hmm. and you're making it hard. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you permission to stop thinking about some of these things that you're thinking about because, you know, at the end of the day, it's a ball on a club face and we got to get that club face squared impact and we got to get it going down a relatively good target line. And, and after that, I mean, I, I'll tell you guys, some of these teachers that I talk to out there on tour, they talk about stuff. I don't even understand what they're talking about. And, <laughs> and, you know, I've told some of these guys, I go, look, I'm either dumb or you're just confusing your students. One of the two's happening here. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's, there's, I mean, you know, no discredit to those teachers out there. I mean, they all have accomplished great things with various students, but, I know, you know, it, it always goes back to the student and the teacher have to gel. And if I've got somebody that's read the golfing machine 10 times and they come to me, well, I'm never going to see them again. We're not going to gel. He's going to want a whole lot of information and I'm going to give him two things and they're going to be very simple. They're going to be feel oriented things. And, you know, he's not going to like that. And if the next person, you know, if Justin went to somebody that was a disciple of something like that, you know, he's going to lose Justin in the first 10 minutes. Justin's going to be like, I just don't even understand what you're talking about. I can't stand on 17 T with a seven iron over water at quail hollow thinking about position two and five and, and hope that I pull this shot off. I mean, it's just not so those two, even though you have a talented player and a talented instructor instructor those two aren't, aren't on the same page. So it's important to match that up with, uh, with the instructor, but we, we keep it very simple for sure. That's fantastic. I, I thought I knew the answer to that from what I've heard from, from just some other people around Louisville. And, and that's, that's exactly the, what I thought you would say. So that's fantastic. So I always tell awesome. people there's a good chance. I, I, I could go three or four days of teaching out here all day long and never touch the guy's golf club or girl's golf club. Uh, and I may, but I may not. I mean, it it would not be uncommon for me to never touch your golf club or your body. And, you know, my, I might just demonstrate it or I might, I might say something like, you know, let's get your arms swinging across your body more, or, or, you know, let's just try to feel like your body is rotating more. You know, I might say things like that and then we can look at the video and go, Oh, look, here's a before and after. So I got to find the phrase that hits home for you. And if it's arms across your body, then that works for you. If I say, Hey, you know, let's feel like we're, I'm going to throw it out there enough different ways until one of them hits home. And then that's the one we're going to stay with. Right now. That's, that's, that's awesome. Mike, what have you seen uh, in Justin? What, what's been his biggest improvement that he's made as a player from, you know, his, his college days at Alabama until now and then kind of the second part is what what have you improved on the most as a coach since you guys have been out there on the pga tour and have have seen a lot um out there in critical moments um 
I, I would say for him, the two biggest improvements uh, his from his first year out of school, like when he was on, uh, it was called the web.com at that time. He, uh, you know, when he started flighting his irons and flighting his wedges and controlling his spin better is when he really started to shoot lower scores consistently. And then the last two or three years on tour, when he really took off, a hundred percent of the time, we just, we just harped on patience, harped on patience. He, he's a very aggressive player. Uh, He's a fairly emotional player and he could get wound up out there and we continually, and, and he agreed. It wasn't something I had to convince him of. We just had to find some strategies to get around it, but you know, he was continually amongst the birdie leaders on tour, but he was throwing them away with double bogeys or uh, a number of bogey stretches because he would get irate over a bogey and would try to start cutting some corners or he would go at bad flags or maybe he would, you know, try to turn a ball around dog leg when he wasn't turning it very well that day. So we have really gotten a lot better at uh, patience and also learning to play the golf course with what you have on that given day. So, you know, if you're cutting the ball real well and you're not drawing it that well, then, you know, there's a set of holes that you can attack. And it literally might be the next day that you're drawing it pretty good and you're not cutting it quite as well. Well, that's a whole different set of holes you're going to attack now. And and the days that you're cutting it and drawing it at will, that's when you shoot the low scores because now you can attack every every situation. Right. And then what's been your kind of personally your – biggest improvement you think as a coach um, since you've been out there traveling with Justin on the PJ tour? Yeah, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not teaching anything different than I ever did. I'm certainly not a model teacher. I don't think uh, people need to do things a certain way that there, there's a lot of ways uh, to get it done. Uh, like I said before, if the club faces square and the, and the club head is traveling on the path that you'd like it to be traveling on or that I'd like it to be traveling on, you're going to, you're going to hit it pretty good. Um, probably my biggest growth and, and this came from hanging out there on tour is, is seeing all the different ways these guys practice. And, you know, I've picked up different tricks from them and certainly uh, I have a sheet that I give my students out here with all these short game drills and, um, so just seeing, you know, I'll see somebody doing something that I've never seen before and, and I'll ask them, I'll go, Hey, you know, what are you doing there? And what, what purpose is that serving? And they'll explain it to me. And if I'm not crazy about it, I, I, uh, don't use it. And if I like it, it goes on my sheet. And the next time you're out here taking a lesson, we're, I'm going to find the right opportunity with the right student to say, Hey, you know, let's do this land finish drill. Let's do this. Uh, let's do this, uh, uh, you know, four to eight drill. Let's do this uh, 25 foot drill. I, I've got tons of different drills and they all have a score attached to them. And most all that stuff I've just stolen from people out there that, you know, something that they stole it from someone else and I stole it from them. Right. So a big thing I'm taking away from you too, is you, you love to keep score on everything. Yeah, yeah right absolutely. Yeah. If we can't, I mean, if you're, if you're topping or, chunking your chips we're not ready to keep score now now we're going to hit a bag of balls from one place until i can get you making consistent contact and repeating emotion time after time again until your contact it becomes consistent as soon as your contact is consistent we're never going to hit balls from the same spot again 
we're going to score everything that you that you do because that's what you do on the golf course right so yeah, we, right. we I always tell our students that I want all of our practice to simulate what you do on the golf course and never on the golf course do you hit multiple shots from one place hope not <laughs> right no absolutely very very cool insight there mike really appreciate that a um, couple more questions we'll get you out of here um something i wanted to ask you about and and i thought this was this was really cool i remember watching this on the broadcast the 2019 masters um you know after tiger put it out on the 18th hole He's walking to the scoring area, and and you gave him a thunderous high five. It's <laughs> awesome. Um, kind of walk us through maybe just like that Sunday at the Masters in 2019. I know Justin made a hole-in-one on the 16th hole. There was all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, what do you remember from that day? What did you take away from that day? Well, uh, you know, I mean, he had an outside chance of winning. You know, yeah. if he, he got a hot round going, he just didn't, he just didn't make any putts. He just didn't, you know, he, he just couldn't get anything going. Uh, but Tiger has kind of befriended Justin, uh, has mentored him in a number of areas and has treated our entire family pretty good. So, you know, we were all so excited for Tiger and uh, we were obviously done, was ready to head back to the house, but we wanted to stick around in case Tiger won. And we were there in the scoring area and we went out there because I said, hey, I want to congratulate him before he got lost. Because literally after that, you don't see him for two or three hours, but with all the right. media and everything that he has. So I wanted to see him before he got into there and just say congratulations to him because I, I was just so happy for him. And it was just kind of weird that I just happened to be sitting right there and he saw me and he said something like, how about that? And I, I was excited and he was excited and it just kind of came out in that high five. And then my wife was right there and, you know, she, yeah. she, she did the same thing. And yeah, it, it was pretty cool. We, we were really happy for him. That was a, that was a neat moment. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I remember, you know, a couple of weeks ago when they had the re-air, you know, I still got, still got excited when you know, he was walking down and I was, I was waiting to see you there. I was like, Hey, there's Mike right there. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, one of our traditions on this podcast, um, when we have college coaches on, we typically ask them on a 36 hole day when they're coaching, what would be their box lunch of choice? Um, so I, I know you're a little different situation for you. Um, so our question to you is, you know, throughout the schedule on the PGA tour, what is one food spot for you that you just, you know, you're going to a city and you're like, all right, this is a must stop for us. And we have got to go here. Also, not necessarily in the clubhouse, but uh, in the, uh, the, like the surrounding areas, the restaurants. Yeah. Uh, I would say hands down, it's baby blues uh, barbecue in uh, Santa Monica for the Riviera tournament. Ah, perfect. Okay. It's, that's great. Yeah. And, uh, a friend of mine introduced me to that place when Alabama played at Riviera country club for the NCAAs. And, uh, we, we have become friends with the, uh, one of the owners there and we'll during Riviera week, we'll go there three times, minimum three times that week. Oh, that's perfect. It sounds like a, a heck of a spot. And, uh, once all this COVID-19 ends and next time anybody's in Los Angeles, they'll have to make that a, a spot that they need to make. Maybe Blues Barbecue. It doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> Perfect. That's, that's <laughs> love great it. Great stuff there. I love that. 
Awesome. Well, Mike, we uh, we greatly appreciate you coming on the podcast, and uh, and and we're so thankful for the way that you and uh, and your son Justin represent the state of Kentucky and golf in general. You guys do a great job mm-hmm. of that, and uh, we just like to say thanks. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon. And best of luck uh, out on the golf course with the rest of the 2020 season. Yeah, Phil. Thanks for having me on, and uh, good luck to you all. I hope hopefully you get back in the swing of things soon. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. We'll right. Absolutely. Thanks, right. Mike. Thanks so much. See you guys. You really don't know, because you don't know what we're trying to do. You guys don't look at the films. You don't know what happened. You really don't know. You think you know, but you don't know. Welcome to the 19th hole, everyone. We hope that you enjoyed uh, the podcast interview with Mike Thomas. I know I did. Absolutely fantastic. Dan, speaking about uh, you know Mike Thomas and Justin Thomas and their game, um, him being from Kentucky, we both graduated in the class of 2011. What, um, do you have a Justin Thomas story, you know, maybe one that, that, you know, just from junior golf at all that, that might be fresh on your mind right now? Yeah. So we, we played in, uh, against each other quite a bit, you know, I, we weren't friends or, you know, I, th- I think he knew me, I knew him, but, um, we didn't hang out much. Um, we weren't as close as you guys were with one another. Um, but I, I tell this story all the time to our players um, because I'll, I'll never live it down. It's like the movie, the little giants one time. Um, so I actually beat Justin. I believe it was one time, uh, one round in junior golf. Um, it was at Belfont country club um, in the AJGA there in Ashland, Kentucky. Um, so that was kind of my first year. I believe going into my junior year of high school, um, first year kind of really traveling around playing AJGAs and, and more kind of regional and national uh, tournaments, uh, junior golf tournaments. Um, so I had to actually qualify that week uh, and, and won the qualifier, shot even par. Um, so it was kind of riding a high and riding some momentum. And then first round went out and played solid and, and shot 67, uh, three under there at Belfont. Justin shot 69. Um, one under. So that was that, you know, kind of my claim to fame. Um, I won't get into what I shot the second two rounds and what he shot the, second, <laughs> the last two rounds, but um, all right, I'll get into we, it. We so, don't have to go there. Yeah, we don't yeah, have to talk about it. yeah. So I think I shot smooth, like back to back rounds of 75, 74 to finish uh, in 18th. And uh, Justin actually set uh, the AJGA 54 all scoring record that week uh, at the time, I believe, of 199. So he broke 200 for three rounds, which is just, I mean, those in golf know that's just absolutely incredible and insane. Um, So I think he went out the next day and shot like 62 or 63 and followed it up with like 66 or 67. I mean, it was just, it was ridiculous. And you know, Belfont tee, like you can go out there and just hit irons off every tee and and it's real tight. It's only like 6,000 yards, but like small greens, you got to be precise with your wedges and, um kind of some corks there not a big overly big golf course but i think he just at the time went out there and just shredded it with his wedges and putter yeah no for sure um you know me and justin we kind of grew up around each other uh we grew up probably about 15 minutes from each other he probably know knew me a little bit more from my basketball playing ability growing (laughs) up we played uh we played middle school and I think elementary school basketball against each other. He went to North Oldham middle school. Um, so he definitely knew me a little bit more from my basketball abilities than my golf abilities early. Um, 
the story I always tell people, I always think it's a funny story. We were paired together in a uh, high school tournament at Owl Creek. Owl Creek is a little nine-hole golf course where the first nine you play one set of tees and the second nine you play another set of tees. So nice. we obviously play 18 holes. Um, really good track, though. And uh, I remember on one of the holes, Justin hit, you know, his par three. He hits it up there. I mean, I'm not, not kidding, Dan. It was literally sitting on the right lip of the hole. <laughs> And we're walking up. I'm about five to ten feet in front of him, and he just he says, "Gosh, man, I cannot believe that." And I'm like, "What, man? Like you just hit it to an inch?" And he looks at me and says, "I pushed it." <laughs> you know? And I'm like, "I'm like, man, this guy." Like, and, uh, long story short, that day he I think I believe he went on to either shoot 64 or 65 to break the course record there at Owl Creek. Um, and it was funny as we were playing. Uh, the guy who had the current course record, I think he had the cor- current course record of like 66. He was out following. And like, I was just like the amount of shots and the, and the, the shots JT was hitting that day. I was just like, dang, there's no doubt he's breaking this course record. So I start chirping the other guy who had the previous course record. Like I, t- I keep telling him, Hey man, your course record is gone. You can forget it, man. Like this kid's freaking breaking. <laughs> right. So I was chirping the guy the whole time. Um, but I believe that was, if I remember right, that was like the week before he was heading over to play in the Junior Ryder Cup um, at Glen Eagles. Um, so, or it was some, it maybe might have been in Wales, something like that. Yeah. Uh, but he was getting ready to head over to the Junior Ryder Cup um, just before then. So that's kind of uh, that's kind of the JT story I always tell my players, and it was just kind of a fun day and a, and a day that I remember. He probably doesn't remember as well as me, um, but you know, it's one of those days and. Uh, cool golf memories so no no absolutely and and we touched on it earlier in the episode or you might have brought it up that you know our graduating class class of 2011 uh in the state of kentucky was was one of the best um Mm -hmm. and it was so much fun uh always kind of chasing justin he was definitely the superstar of that class um and just always chasing him and and he kind of actually without even knowing it made us better as players i think um, absolutely knowing that we were trying to go out and beat him because he, he he did set the standard he set the precedent um and what he's been able to do um in his young career and, and gosh he's our age you know, 27 28 years old um still young um and, and what he's going to do um in his future career on the pj tour uh he's never forgot where he came from and he's always referenced um, Kentucky golf and Kentucky junior golf and is always, will always be a, a, the probably the biggest ambassador for that. Yeah. No, that, and we kind of, we thanked Mike before we got off there, but you know, that is one thing that, you know, I always kind of tell people about JT is, is, you know, he, he makes the people in Kentucky proud of, of him and proud of Kentucky golf. And he does a great job of that. And, uh, and Mike does a great job with that as well. Um, so yeah, no, it's, 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 uh, great guy, great ambassador for the game of golf in the state of Kentucky. And, uh, we're, we're proud of this. Absolutely. Fantastic. Uh, so absolutely moving on to some, uh, some other golf news, Dan, uh, some word came out about, um, pretty popular skins game, um, between, you know, four of the world's best, Oh yeah, uh, at a pretty nice golf course down there in Florida. And, uh, I just want to kind of get your thoughts on it. Yeah. Fairly good track, uh, down there in Juneau beach um Seminole Golf Club 
the match of, of Rory McIlroy and, and Dustin Johnson versus Ricky Fowler and, and uh, Matthew Wolf. So obviously Rory and DJ are the betting favorites. Um, I'm, I'm not really a betting man, but um, I love the underdog and I love a true underdog story. So, you know, Ricky and, and Matthew, I hope they, uh, I hope they can make it a good match. And, and I think they will. I mean, again, you know, obviously Roy and, and DJ are, are the crowd favorites, but I mean, like Ricky and Matthew Wolf are also uh, top players in the world. Um, right. So it, it should be a fun, fun match. Uh, the the yeah. cool thing about it is no caddies. They're going to carry their own club. So kind of going back to their college golf days, um, all of them. So, um, or at least three of the four, um, you could say the one from Northern Ireland did not play college golf was supposed to, um, but then, Made the smart made the smart move of turning pro. Um, yeah, I think that decision paid off for. Him. Yeah, I think um, so. I, yeah, I'm very excited about this match, Dan. I'm very excited to, from a spectator standpoint as well. There won't be any spectators at the match, but um, it'll be the first time that Seminole has been featured on TV. Right. Um, I had uh, the opportunity. One of my good friends, uh, who's a head golf professional in Louisville, uh, his name's Chris Schuler. He, he's actually at an Oxmoor Country Club right now. He had the opportunity to play Seminole uh, a couple of years ago. Um, I had him for sure gra- grab a hat for me there because I know those are pretty rare. And uh, he kind of talked about the golf course with me a little bit. And he says on the car, it's not that big of a golf course, but it plays to a big golf course. Um, so it'll be very interesting to kind of see it um, unfold on TV. Um, he says, you know, a lot of the holes and, the green complexes are, are, are pretty nice and, and pretty challenging. Um, so uh, it'll be cool to kind of see the way the layout is and, and what it looks like on TV. Um, to be honest, I, I don't know one hole at Seminole. So that's kind of the interesting part. You know, it's one of those courses we don't see very often. Um, so I'm pretty excited to to see the golf course and, and see it out there. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think it's going to be great TV. Like you said, there's, there's probably going to be like two other people out there um talking you know as part of the media team um besides you know those walking around with the cameras and and doing the video and and voice and all that but it's going to be cool tv just because you know all four of them are going to be mic'd up i'm sure and and they're going to just be like we would go out and walk you know nine holes on a sunday afternoon or whatever um but uh, you know it we're it's at seminole golf club which is up there uh with you know pine valley and, and some of the prestigious courses in this, in the country. So, um, it'll be cool. It'll be really neat to watch good cause. Um, I think that, you know, each team picked a a charity of their choice. I think that they relate to COVID-19 relief efforts. So it'll be really neat to see and, and, you know, a better ball, uh, format. And, and so it's a skins game. So each hole is worth, you know, a certain amount of money, certain amount of dollars, and then all of it's going to, uh, those, those relief efforts. Yeah. Absolutely. It's absolutely fantastic. Now, Dan, let's kind of transition over into um, some questions from our listeners. Favorite, favorite part of the week. Man. Yeah. And uh, what kind of questions do you have for us this week? So I've got one from a good buddy um, in, a, in a great listener of our podcast. This comes from Jack uh, down in Charlotte, North Carolina. Jack asks, what is the benefit of playing with five clubs as opposed to your whole set. And he kind of backgrounds that with, with obviously the new Corona rules and, and what's been going on with, with golf courses 
in the last couple months, you know, there's been less carts available. So he's been walking a lot more. Um, and he says, instead of carrying the whole back, he'll just grab like a driver, uh, a five or six iron and eight iron or nine iron and a 56 degree and putter. Um, so T, what, what would you say is the benefit of playing with five clubs as opposed to your whole set? You know, I, I think the creativity in it, um, I think it, it takes a little bit away from the decision-making. Um, you know, if you're debating between a, a hard eight or a soft seven, you know, if you only have an eight iron, you're, you have to hit that eight iron, right? Uh, right. I see it as a little bit of shot shaping and shot making. Um, so I think those are the benefits of it. Um, you know, as far as like, it can teach you how to learn how to play the game, which I think is an element that sometimes gets missed um, with golfers sometimes. And particularly some, some of those golfers who are maybe a handicap between like 10 and 20, you know, this kind of forces them to hit some different shots and, and get some different feels within their game. So I think, I think it's a good practice to use and uh, it can kind of maybe get some players over the hump. Right. Yeah, no, we, we, we do this a lot with our guys, and I'm sure you've done it before with your girls. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll, we'll tell them, hey, grab three clubs and a putter, um, and, and we'll go, you know, walk nine holes. Um, so, it, like you said, it's, it's creativity. It's getting you to kind of use uh, the other side of your brain uh, that you wouldn't normally, um, playing with a full set of clubs. Uh, but I think, you know, it, it's good because it gives you a different perspective. Um, it makes you see things that you wouldn't normally – see or kind of one-mindedness on the golf course and makes you kind of broaden your your horizons a little bit and you may come to find out that uh you know okay i gotta choose between an eight iron and 56 degree you know i've got 30 feet of green to work with so hey it may be an eight iron you know but if but if i had my 60 i would use it but i wouldn't hit it as close as the eight iron and then all of a sudden you got a new shot in your bag yeah no without a doubt and it's it can be a fun way to uh to learn some different shots and uh, help you lower your score too, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's you know that's what everybody's trying to do. That's the name of the game. That's the goal. Um, Dan, I, I have a question. Uh, a little little two parter here. Um, this comes from Brooks out of Jupiter, Florida. So shout out Brooks. Not sure if it's Brooks Kepka. We'll we'll find that out later. Not really sure. <laughs> uh, Man, don't know how many Brooks are down there. Uh, <laughs> but that, the question is, um, what are your immediate golf goals for yourself? And how, what is the current state of your golf game currently? Yeah, that's a great question, man. So obviously getting into coaching, you kind of transition your goals from, from a player um, into a coach. So um, obviously the biggest goal is, is to, continue to, to push forward and, and assist Coach Bagley in, in pushing forward the golf program here at Army West Point. And uh, hopefully, you know, we we can go out and win some conference championships and, and make it to NCAA regionals. And, and you know, maybe one day uh, we believe that we can hopefully get to nationals. Um, so that those would be, you know, some coaching goals of mine uh, for right now here at Army. And then, you know, obviously – um, work towards accomplishing those and, and then personally one day become a head coach. Um, I think that would just be fantastic. And, and I've gotten, had the fortune enough kind of to men, uh, learn from some of the best mentors, I think, uh, in the game so far in my coaching career as an assistant. 
Um, so I think just continue to, to progress um, and build the program here at Army um, or assist in building the program here at Army, doing best I can. Um, and then state of my game, you know, our, our golf course has been closed uh, for the past six or seven weeks. Um, so it was open actually the first couple weeks. We kind of were in this uh, social distancing guidelines and, and coronavirus and COVID-19. So um, first couple of weeks I was practicing quite a bit. Um, I was signed up to play a U.S. Open local uh, down in New Jersey. So I um, was playing and practicing towards that. And then, you know, once they USGA came out and said, we're going to postpone the U.S. Open and then postpone local and sectional qualifying, you know, I haven't. And then once our golf course closed, I haven't been out, you know, hitting a few shots on the course here and there or hitting some short game uh, shots at our short game facility and on the range. But other than that, it's kind of hit or miss right now. Sure. No, that's, that's a great perspective. I think a lot of people are kind of in that, uh, in that element and myself, Dan, kind of looking at your coaching career, I'm excited for, uh, for when you do become a head coach and kind of see where you can kind of take a program. I know that's probably not on your radar currently. It's, it's coming up. You, you have a big job there at army. Uh, but I'm excited to kind of see your career down the road too. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would love to, to get on the level of you, man. I mean, it's just the, the shoes are huge and um, you know, you, you're, you've been a head coach um, at two stops now. So I'm um, just trying to catch up with you, man. I hear you. For myself, <laughs> um, coaching wise, you know, currently it's a big thing of just growing our, our program here at Cleveland state and, and, leading them up to be successful. I, I think, you know, my kind of goal as a coach is everywhere I go, each stop I have, I want to see that program, you know, in a better position, um, you know, as I'm there, you know, and continue to grow and, and develop the program. Um, so that's a big goal for me and just um, really focus on our student athlete experience and ensuring that our student athletes have a, have a great experience, both academically and competitively. That's a big thing for me. Um, so just doing that as a coach, um, you know, as a player, a big goal for me still is is just to com- uh, qualify for a uh, for a USGA event. That's a big one for me. You know, you mentioned US mm. Open qualifying, whether it's the mid am or the amateur. Uh, that's kind of where my goals have shifted for my game. Um, the way my game is right now, I've probably played more golf in the past month and a half than I have for a long time. Um, just because it's one of the only activities that's really out there. Um, so I've played a lot, um, but I haven't really practiced a lot. That's kind of been the thing is, uh, you know, there's nothing to really practice for. So uh, I've just been playing, um, kind of getting it around. But I've kind of been working on some things with my game as well. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where the state of my game's at. It's not – it's kind of rusty, but there's some good shots out there occasionally too. Yep, like a – a good friend of ours and close to our golf program here at Army says our officer rep, Colonel Kluai, you know, it's like a box of chocolates. Yeah. You never know what you're going to get. That's a great, great perspective. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> Man, I, he can make you laugh, boy. Absolutely. Good dude. Awesome. Well, Dan, this has been a great episode, and I think our listeners are really going to enjoy it. I hope they enjoyed it. And uh, I really enjoyed it, my friend. Yeah, always, man. Another week down. Uh, we'll, we'll keep – train keeps a rolling. Um, so folks, uh, keep following, keep listening, uh, keep sending in your questions too. We love answering them yep. during the sit during uh, our 19th whole segment. So, um, we enjoy it. Um, we'll probably put out another episode, you know, this Sunday night or on Monday T. Yep. So 
um, stay tuned. Uh, it's going to be a short, short turnaround, but um, we, we, we love doing it. Love sitting down and, and talking. Perfect. Well, Dan, drive for show and putt for dough, bud. That one's a two. This one's a three. <laughs>